0: you pray with me? Lord, I would like to do the story of your victory justice. Jesus, will you help me? Amen. Have a seat. You ever had one of those experiences where you go somewhere and you see something and even the camera that you've taken along, whether it be on your phone or even something more sophisticated than that, can't do it justice. And you can't get the right words and you can't get back enough when you meet your friends or your parents to tell them what it is that you experienced. You tried to capture it in social media in the moment you tried to post it, but it just didn't do it justice. I remember last week standing um, just outside Vancouver in a field of tens of thousands of flowers with mountains behind me, and I'm trying to take all these pictures at all these angles, and despite the fact that I'm still not a very good photographer, nothing could do justice to where I was standing and what I was experiencing. You guys wouldn't remember this because you're too young, but back in the day when we had a friend or an older relative who'd go away on vacation, they'd come back and do the whole travelogue experience for us where they'd give us the slideshow of all the things that they'd experienced and try to tell the story to try to bring you back there. If Jesus would have had a travelogue for what happened in three days to come back and tell his friends what he had experienced, what would it have looked like I mean, how do you even even get that back? Like, flipping through the pictures, right? Like, and this is where I kick death in the teeth. And this is the moment when I I breathed and then like every demon peed their pants. (laughs) How do you tell that story? Like, the words that Jesus uses in his moments when he's back with the disciples have to be so telling for us about what it is that we need to know. He is just, for the first time ever, been someone who has crossed the grave, gone to the other side, brought eternity back in. You see, when the incarnation happens, Heaven came and visited earth, but when the resurrection happens, heaven comes and intersects earth in a new way, and heaven and earth collide, and the tearing of the curtain, and the breaking of the barrier of death, and the return from hell with it defeated, and the keys of death in his hand, and nothing can ever be the same ever again after that moment in time. So what do you say when you walk into the room to your friends after you just pulled that off? What do you say? The first fruits of heaven has come back. The first fruits of return from the dead comes back. And what happens in that moment becomes the center of Christian preaching for the rest of history. We've been walking all year through the gospel of John, and this is how he records part of that from chapter 20. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then, with that, he breathed on them and said, "Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, their sins are forgiven. If you forgive, if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven." Okay, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. But a week later, his disciples were in the house again. And this time Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting. Believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen And yet believed. Now Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So three times, Jesus now has this opportunity to come back and speak and tell them about what he experiences. And he keeps opening with this line. In fact, he says it twice the first time. Verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then he shows up the next week and now Thomas is present. He says to Thomas, peace be with you. So apparently the most important thing to say when you've come back from the other side of the dead... His peace be with you, which I'm guessing is probably a little bit more than, hey, how's it going? Or, what's up? Consider what he's actually saying in this moment and why this is so significant. Peace. Shalom. The richness of this word, of what Jesus is declaring over them, in them, and through them, cannot be lost on us. We translate this word failing over and over again. Peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, tranquility. But shalom is everything the way that God intended it to be. Jesus has gone on to the other side, grabbed some of heaven, pulled it back into the present, and it began an experience of eternal life for all the disciples already then and there. Shalom is everything that God wanted back in the beginning, but now because of Christ and what he has done, brought back into the present. When Jesus says, peace be with you, he's not saying, hey, how's it going? He's saying, I have acquired what God wants for all of humanity, for all of creation, for all of eternity, and I'm bringing it back, and I'm declaring it over you. I want you to have what I have. I want you to have what the Father has given me. The peace that is in me, I want inside of you. And as the Father has sent me, in the same way that I did it, and this is a line we kept hearing in the farewell discourse, this as, just like me, you're going to do this. Just like me, you're going to bring peace to the world. Just like me, you're going to bring the things the way that God intended it to all of the world. That is why you are here, Dort College students. That is why you were put on this planet. You are to be the ambassadors of the shalom of God in this world. Jesus has acquired this victory. He has shared the fruits of it with you as the firstborn of the dead. And everything that was destroyed in Adam is being reconciled now in Christ. And he's declaring this over you. And can you hear it from him? Peace be with you. He told them beforehand, I do not give to you as the world does. Peace be with you. My peace I leave with you. My shalom I give to you. That's what Jesus said. Every longing that the world has for a possibility that could come to completion one day in the fullness of time and in the fullness of God's plans, you are to be a foretaste of. You are to be the embodiment of. You are part of the down payment that is showing everybody else what is yet to come. Everything the way that God intended it to be. You as a bringer of shalom. Of the peace of God. That after everything that Jesus had just accomplished, this is the one thing that he seemed the most intent on saying. So can you hear it? Like and it is a ringing inside of you. Peace be with you. When everybody else is all running around and flailing, peace be with you. When you're feeling the tension between the now and the not yet, peace be with you. And even in the middle of all of your doubts, peace be with you. To Jesus, this moment is so big, he then goes and does this, which is really weird for people who've come back from the dead to do on other people, because I don't know of what how many breath mints they had back in the day. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's a terribly odd thing to do. I don't know how many people you walk up to when you say, hey, how's it going? And then you go, ah. <laughs> Right? Like, have you ever done that to anybody? Why is Jesus doing this in this moment? The new creation... For the new humanity comes because Jesus has gone to bring the shalom of God back into this moment, and it is so big, it is as big as what happened in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word becomes flesh, and that Word who is Jesus was there at the beginning, at the beginning in Genesis 2 when God forms man out of the dust of the earth and breathes on them. And Jesus is effectively saying in his actions in this moment, what, that, what the world experienced in that moment when God gave life, this moment right now, it's like that. That's how big this is. This is like when everything all began and God breathed into you and like gave you all life. What I am doing in this moment because I have come back and been raised from the dead, this moment is as big as the first time anything was ever made. N.T. Wright in his commentary on this passage talks about new Creation, like we focus on the new part, we don't focus on the fact like creation, like back into the earth and into, the, into the, the actual physicality, the material of all of it. It's new creation, like the creation itself is new. All of these things, the physicality of it matters. And so he breathes on them. with The breath of the first person that ever conquered Hell. A breath that will never be taken from him ever again. And cannot. And he breathes that on us. And he promises the Holy Spirit. But this story focuses in on this one disciple. On Thomas. Let's do a little word association for a minute. I say Thomas and the word you first think of is doubt. Which is funny because Thomas actually means Twin. But you weren't thinking, hey, I guess there's somebody just like Thomas, right? Like, we have come to associate him with this, but I wonder if we've really been totally fair to Thomas in this story because notice the way that we treat him versus the way that Jesus treats him in this text. Now, Thomas is a little bit stubborn, right? That's kind of our mentality we have of him. And he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe. But is Thomas so wrong to want to touch the resurrection? To put his hands and his doubts and his fears in it, to rest not only his fingers but all of his doubts in the nail scarred hands of Jesus. I wondered for the first time through reading through this story this week ever if Thomas is named twin because I'm just like him. You ever doubted? Ever had fears? Ever wondered if this insane story is actually true? Thomas does. Ben Witherington in his commentary says it like this, Thomas stands in for all who, like Mary Magdalene, embrace the earthly Jesus but have yet to recognize the risen Jesus. Why wouldn't he have a hard time with this? I'm just like Thomas. I still have a hard time with this. And then notice when Jesus shows up to visit him the next week when Thomas is there. Jesus isn't like, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. They're going to tell stories about you being doubting for hundreds of years. Like, this is not at all what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't shame him, he meets him. in his doubts, in his humanity, in his brokenness, in his fears, in his unbelief, and in his failure. And he says, come and place your doubts in the resurrection. Take your fingers, put it here. Take your hand, put it here. Put yourself in the resurrection. Come and taste it. Come and feel it. Come and experience the resurrection, Thomas. He doesn't deny him that because he has doubts. Do you understand how much room there is inside the gospel for all of us who have doubts and fears? They're standing right in front of Jesus, doubting Thomas is there, and Jesus just says, just come. Just come and experience the resurrection. I want you to hear this morning Jesus' invitation to all of your doubts and fears. Come and experience the resurrection. Come and put your fingers in it. Come and and see it. Come and see me. You ever notice this too, that on the other side of the grave, it's one of the most comforting things I ever get to preach at a funeral or a graveside or comforting somebody when they've lost someone they've loved so deeply. Because apparently everybody still has the same friends on the other side of the grave and the firstborn of the dead has showed us what that looks like. And they recognized him and they loved him And apparently, perfection isn't actually flawless beauty. Because when death is conquered, the scars are still there. In fact, the scars are the evidence of what had happened beforehand. Heaven doesn't airbrush the scars in Jesus' hands out. And the hole in his side is not photoshopped. Jesus' perfection is not flawless beauty. It's the kind that we can relate to. And in that moment, Thomas declares, my Lord and my God. And so Jesus greets Thomas with, peace be with you. And Thomas says back to him, my Lord and my God. And you need to understand what's happening in this moment. In John 1.1, when it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's the last time God gets used in the Gospel of John. In fact, this word, Theos, is actually not used that often in the New Testament at all. But Thomas, doubting Thomas, with all of his reservations and fears and insecurities, is the first person ever to declare Jesus as the same Yahweh God of the Old Testament. Jesus meets him in his brokenness and allows Thomas in all of his shortcomings to be the one who declares Jesus as God. I know that every one of you, when you stare into the mirror and when you fall asleep at night and when you are alone in your thoughts, are probably more fixated on the things that you are not than the things that you are. We play the same tapes over and we're very very aware of our shortcomings and our fears and our failures and often we're paralyzed by those and we're limited by those and you have to understand that when the gospel story gets told it's the doubters who are invited in and it's those who fail to comprehend who are extended grace and it's people like Thomas who really is very much like my twin who gets to participate in this and thank God You and me get to do that. Famous preacher Fred Craddock on his commentary on John says this, that faith is not in this gospel a decision once and for all, but a decision anew in every decision. Because we keep fumbling and we keep stumbling along and our decision is made new. Eugene Peterson was fascinated with Wendell Berry's idea of practicing resurrection. We're practicing the as- And as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. We're practicing and stumbling along like Thomas. And I want you to think right now of everything in the world that you're afraid of. And every doubt you've ever had in your faith. And everything you've ever wondered if it was ever possibly true about Christianity. Or this insane story of Jesus coming back from the dead. And Jesus says, go on and bring your doubts here. Like... Bring your doubts to me. Tom, I'm not like shaming you, Thomas. I'm not scaring you away. I'm inviting you to come. Put them all, all in the middle of this. And I'll let you walk into this with me. Jesus is so good. So good. Will you please rise? Fellow doubters, my friends in belief, and my friends sometimes in unbelief, as you and I keep stumbling along in this, you are invited into a full participation and practice of the resurrection. And as the Father sent Jesus, so he is sending you. And in all your shortcomings, you are more than aware of already, Jesus is there too, redeeming everything. Peace be with you. Amen. Have a great day.